Welcome everyone to Good Night and Good Game, your source for geek news for the week that was. I'm your host, James, and with me as always is my wonderful co-host, Hector. Hello. This week on the show, after the news, it's time for us to talk about the real problem that Marvel and Hollywood in general seems to have these days when it comes to making content. Before we start, don't forget that you can head over to goodnight.gg, where as a patron of our show, you can suggest topics for us to talk about. Uh, yeah, so we missed our episode last week for Patreon, but we got ours up for this week for Glorious, which is on Shudder. You should absolutely see it. It's got J.K. Simmons. It's absolutely fantastic. And then come back, donate to our Patreon, and listen to the episode. Yeah, do watch that. And I will be updating our Patreon tiers here soon. I'm working on a bunch of stuff on the back end, so that'll all be changed up to, to be determined mm-hmm. when I get the free time. Um, but with all that out of the way, it's time for the Prelude. Prelude. All right, this is the prelude. It's time to dive in what we what we've been up to this week. Man, I can't talk. It's all right. We're gonna keep going. <laughs> it's time to dive into what we have been up to this week, what we've been playing, what we've been watching, what's been occupying our free time, and what has been making us happy. Hector, what do you have for me this week? Well, um, I had a very busy week at work. Uh, there is going on this week on Steam Next Fest 2022, okay. which is when all the indie developers, all the people not current, not about to release a triple A game, but about to release a game sometime in the next year or so we'll put up demos and steam will start to highlight them and show you things last year we got such lovable stuff as angry foot and death trash mm-hmm. and um metal hellsinger which finally came out and i've been playing recently mm-hmm. moon scars was also there which i've been playing recently mm-hmm. so last next fest had some real bangers in it this time i have so far been able to play one demo i'm gonna crank out some more this weekend and i'll put them on my list for next week the one I got to play this week, and you can kind of guess why, it was called Gun Jam. Okay. Gun Jam is a first-person FPS roguelike that is set to music. So we have another FPS set to right, music. This right. is just kind of my great. thing these days. Fantastic. This one was very, very different in that... Instead of having you play an FPS game to a beat, instead, you were playing a beat game while trying to solve an FPS. Let me try to explain. Instead of having a beat scroll into you and trying to match your actions to it, instead, there is much more like a rhythm game, a line of notes crawling down the screen Mm -hmm. based on the song you're listening to. Now, these songs were all very fast. There was They were separated by genre. There was a, um, uh, you know, a techno track, an EDM track, uh, a dubstep track. Okay. And the thing is, as the notes hit the screen, they are of different colors. They all have the same timing window in the center of the screen. And some come more frequently and some come farther apart. But the icons for these notes are different in that... The icon represents the gun you will fire when you perfectly hit that note. Interesting. Okay. So if it goes like gold, doo-doo, gold, doo-doo, you're going to fire the same gun twice. Mm-hmm. Then if you get a blue one and there are three blue ones in a row that you have to hit in double time, do do do. that's a different gun. Mm-hmm. There are pink ones with one eighth time. Okay. And there are big explosive red looking ones with like, you know, like like two beat or three beat times. And you don't get to select any of this. It's all down to the song and the beats of the song. Interesting. But while you're playing the FPS, it's up to you to solve the room that you're in. Mm-hmm. As in um, enemies of different varieties and different types will spawn. This is one of the only um, FPS that I've seen that uh, a rhythm FPS that I've seen that had the absolute balls, the audacity to put explosive barrels in that can kill you as well so you really gotta be on point you gotta know what gun you're firing when you're firing it based on the song 
And you have to know the song well enough to play the game and put yourself in the right position to fire the correct weapons at the right things. Okay. The okay. reason this is a roguelite is because it's very easy to just run out of time by not completing the song. Right. Think of it like a game of DDR. Eventually, if you miss enough notes or are offbeat enough, you just fail the level. Yep. The plot, the, the plot of the game isn't to kill everything and get to the end of the level. It's to finish the song. Mm. That's what makes this one so interesting to me. There were only a few levels in it. It was a relatively short demo, but it was very, very cool. And I highly recommend you check it out. It's called Gun Jam. Okay. Um, the only other thing I did this week was play Overwatch 2. Yeah. Yeah. So we are going to talk Overwatch 2 in the news section. So mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of like just save our little talk for Overwatch yeah. 2 for when we bring it up in the news. Uh, I'll just go over what I watched this week uh, very quick. So this will be a, a short prelude for us. Uh, the first thing I did was I watched uh, the first episode of Queer for Fear, A mm-hmm. History of Queer Cinema on Shudder. Uh, it's on the label. Yeah. Uh, Brian Fuller, who's done Pushing Daisies, he did uh, Dead Like Me, he did all these amazing shows. Um, he uh, is the one who put this whole thing together. Um, it kind of, it starts off with like historical context. It's like, so motherfuckers, we're going to talk about Mary fucking Shelley. Yeah. And how queer she was. Cool. And it's a bunch of just like um, queer creatives from the horror industry coming together and being on this this thing and really celebrating queer cinema, queer horror cinema, and how far it's come. Um, and being like, you know, that it's always been there, guys. You guys just didn't want to admit it. Yeah. Like, that's a lot of what the Mary Shelley section is just like, you guys... You think that her and Laura Byron and everybody and the other females that were around were just hanging out? You think yeah. they were just... just These yeah. were all just straight people yeah. being pals? Yeah. yeah. They were just being roommates. You That's, know how easy it is to be adult friends. Yeah. So, uh, like, that was really funny. But, like, yeah, it's just a very fascinating piece. It's the first episode. New episodes are going to be uh, happening on Fridays. Definitely worth a watch. Definitely worth... Shutter right now is your spot for horror. We keep saying it all the time. But, like, it's Halloween time. And, like, the 101 scariest uh, horror movie moments, they've got that going every Wednesday. Every Wednesday. That's actually, like, a ritual. Like, I check, like, before my evening ends, I want to see what the next batch of 13 is. Uh, so that was been has been really fantastic. The other thing that I watched this week was actually not horror related. Uh, I finished season two of Reservation Dogs. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, I've been meaning to start that. Yeah, so Reservation Dogs is produced by Taika Waititi and is made. Um, it's a story about uh, Native American and a Native American tribe. Um, in a really shitty living situation. Um, it's about kids, these four kids. Mm-hmm. And the, the story kind of kicks off that their fifth friend kills himself and they're all kind of trying to cope with that. And they're kind of also trying to cope with the reality that life on a reservation is not great. Like yeah. They are all poor. Um, it is can be a hard watch at times. It can mm-hmm. be a very funny watch at times. Mm-hmm. It is a hilarious show through and through. Um, but the last episode was a tough one because the last episode was really them... Uh, the group had kind of fallen out in the second season. I'm not going to go into too much, but um, the last episode is them finding the letter of their friend who killed himself. Uh, basically, in, in, when they were all freshmen in high school, they had to write a time capsule mm. thing saying, like, what do I want to be doing in four years? And since he wasn't there, the teacher gave the letter to uh, his sister and his sister opens it up. And he's like, he had a request for all of us. Uh, and the last episode is about them kind of fulfilling that request. The, the series can kind of end there if it wants to. It kind of alludes that it, it can continue to go on and, and could go on. And I'd be happy for it, too. It is an award-winning show. Mm-hmm. Uh, season two brought in at least one actor from Letterkenny that you would know. Nice. Um, 
It is a funny, haunting, silly, interesting show. And honestly, it should be on everybody's radar. It has won awards. It is called Reservation Dogs. It is on Hulu. And it is absolutely worth your time. 30-minute episode, 10-episode season, easy binge. And you'll kind of want to binge it because the comedy is just golden. It's yeah. really, really good. Like I said, the heavy parts that I'm talking about, they only happen once every few episodes. But those are things that kids deal with. Mm-hmm. And it's these you know, four kids just trying to grow up in a world that pretty much is out to get them. So. That sounds really cool. Yeah, I've been meaning to start that one. I've been so bad with TV this year. Yeah. And that's everything that we have for the prelude this week. We're going to take a small break. When we come back on the other side, we'll be going into all of the week's news and the weekly raid. The weekly raid. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. It's time for the weekly raid, your news roundup for this week's geek news. Kicking things off this week, Todd McFarlane has finally opened up about the status of his Spawn reboot film project. Uh, Blumhouse is still set to release the film, and Jamie Foxx will still be playing Spawn. Uh, With them, uh, McFarlane has brought on Scott Silver, who worked on Joker, and Malcolm Spellman, who worked on Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Mm. Uh, Previously, McFarlane had wanted to direct the project himself, uh, but has since taken that statement back, being very, very candid about the fact that he doesn't believe that he has the skills to really do Spawn justice on the big screen. That is so wonderful to hear, uh, just because usually when stuff like that just usually compromises a picture, especially... As we're going to talk about later with special effects heavy films. Yeah. And that's the thing with Spawn. It's going to be very special effects heavy. Um, Spawn has had a little bit of a resurgence in in popular times. Um, Not as big as he used to be back in the 90s. Uh, But I think there's enough traction there that they could do a good job with the movie. McFarlane said that he wants to definitely do a hard R on it. Um, The the, the other one was previously Mm PG-13. And he always said he felt like the the film suffered for it. Especially when we got the wonderful R-rated HBO show. Oh, that HBO show is so classic. If you you have any way of seeing that. I think it's on HBO. It would be great if it was like just on HBO Max and if it is is, you should watch it I I might watch it again yeah Uh, the John Landis directed hit music video Michael Jackson's Thriller is going to be getting the full documentary treatment the Michael Jackson estate and Sony Music are working with director Nelson George to bring the story of the making of this iconic music video to life including never before seen footage and interviews about it quote Thriller is the only music video that has been inducted into the elite National Film Registry and the Library of Congress. Huh. They're not 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 at all to bash on this music video. Yeah. But it's not the best one. It's, it's, it, 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 <laughs> like, like we could put other things mm, in there, but for I don't the know. time we'll see. for the time. It was essentially, I think the full length of it is somewhere between eight and ten minutes. That's true. He did do that, it, though. He it loved was, to put stories it was into a his music film. videos. Like, if you yeah. had, like, a lot of people know the Thriller video because of the music part, but if you ever... And they would only ever really show it on MTV around Halloween. Yeah. They'd be like, no, we're doing the full, like, ten minutes of Thriller. And yeah. it's got a beginning, a middle, and an end to yeah, it. Yeah, the full short like, film. Yeah. A, a lot like the one that he did for... Uh, for bad in um, Moonwalker. Yeah. 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 I mean, Moonwalker, the entire Moonwalker movie is... A masterpiece. No yeah. matter what you think about Michael Jackson, that movie was something else for the time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is cool because like Michael Jackson Thriller uh, was the music video that scarred me as a child and I was deathly afraid of it. Yeah, I watch a lot of horror movies now. I was scared by Thriller as a child. <laughs> you can hold that against me. That was the thing that scared me. Um, for whatever reason, Michael Jackson just scared me as a kid. Take that for what you want. Yeah. Um, just 
Good, good judge of character. Yeah, just, just, just judging character there. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I, I've always been fascinated by this movie. I tend to be fascinated by things that scare me, mm-hmm. uh, with the exception of eyeball stabbings. Like, yeah. That's just a hard no. I don't want a two-hour documentary about eyeball stabbings. Uh, but Thriller is something that I would absolutely love to watch the interviews about, have them talk about Vincent Price's stuff, see what the cut footage looked like for this. Yeah, that would be really interesting. I'd love to see, yeah, you know, a bunch of makeup, you know, like mm-hmm. in chairs. and Yeah, yeah I want to see all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, according to sources, the planned Marvel Disney Plus series, The Armor Wars, is now being altered to be a film. Uh, if it follows the comics, it will be about how Tony Stark's armor designs are stolen and what weapons are made out of them. It's an interesting movie for sure to take from series to film, especially because um, our main character is Don Cheadle. He's yeah. playing War Machine. Mm-hmm. So instead of him being relegated to a Disney Plus show, we're going to give Don Cheadle the full... Iron Man treatment? I mean, I love that. Like, he could really use it. I mean, Mm. it's great. um, You know, it's great representation all around because his character in the movie is disabled now as well. Mm. So, I mean, there's a lot that you could... There's there's a lot to be done there. And let's just... Yeah, let's have a lot more heroes like that. Like, this sounds great. It's one of my favorite stories from my only inlet into Marvel as a child because I wasn't really a comic book reader. Mm was um, the Saturday morning cartoons. And they do this whole bit where Tony basically goes crazy trying to get all of his stolen technology back and, like, really Mm -hmm. starts fucking with some people, like, in a a not-superhero-y kind of way. Mm -hmm. It's pretty crazy, but but Mm -hmm. it's good. Yeah, so I'm excited for it. Um, there were some people online that were just like, oh, I was looking forward to this as like a TV series. I'm like, bro, the budget for Armor Wars? Yeah. Like, you can't do that on Disney Plus budget. Yeah, that's, that's like true. That's like House of the Dragon money. Mm-hmm. Like, that much stuff. As we will talk about VFX later in the show, yeah. it's going to be a heavy deal. And I think it's going to work better this way. Now I'm happy that, that War Machine's getting his own show. Maybe Wongers next? Uh, yeah, let, yeah, let Wongers. Just call let, it Wongers. Just call it Wongers. And, that's, and we will all watch that. Yeah, and, and, and just have them hang out with um, She-Hulk's paralegal. Like, yeah. I'd watch that show yeah. all day. All day. Uh, Dread XP, the developers of The Mortuary Assistant, which is getting a feature film. We mentioned that a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, has teamed up with Shudder to make a video game based on the horror anthology movies and television series Creep Show. Nice. This will be a horror anthology game and will, quote, cross gameplay genres and tone. Get this, though. Mm-hmm. Multiple developers will be working on this project to give each story a unique feel. That sounds really, really cool. So it's not just like, oh, like Dread XP is doing the thing. Like Dread XP is setting all of this in motion mm. and then going to other developers and being like, hey, you want to make a story? You can make it however you want. It can be 2D. It can be 3D. It can be whatever. But it's just got to be creepy. This is cool. This is so cool. I love the idea of a singularly contained anthology game you know mm-hmm. like that's that, that's awesome that, that's so cool it's basically yeah. like like my, my, my october gaming but like in one game yeah and there have been a couple of games that have attempted a anthology format but they've been done not really an anthology in one game format there's like i forget the name of it but there's a series that's out that like they do a horror game and it's called like the dark universe or something weird like that mm-hmm. and the dark pictures anthology that's ah, the dark, yeah, yeah yeah the dark pictures mm-hmm. anthology yes. yeah mm-hmm. so that's a thing that they do but those games are all separate Right, and and they're also like it's it's much more like episodes of a show and with different characters, and that is anthology. But in that case, the gameplay is always pretty the same. 
And what's really cool about the idea of doing like a creep show or anthology style horror video game is that some of the best horror games that exist currently are things that are not AAA titles. These oh, are yeah. things that you can find on like itch, uh, itch.io. Oh yeah. All the best horror stuff is indie these days. And like all the games that try to scare you try to appeal to a mass audience so they don't want yeah. to be too scary. And the stuff on itch, like they're only maybe 10, 15 minutes long a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. They're just like a here, we made something really fucked up for you to play. Yep. And if you're going to give me like a game that has like five to 10 of those bundled together, fuck it. That sounds great. Yeah. Going to be awesome. That's a great Saturday night to me. Uh, the long-awaited Giger-inspired game Scorn has surprisingly had its release date bumped up from the end of October to October 14th. Oh, shit, yeah. That's next Friday. Yeah, so for some Fuck, historical yeah. context here, the game was first announced in 2014, had a failed Kickstarter, got an investor, had a successful Kickstarter in 2017... And eventually Microsoft said, hey, we're going to bring this thing to Game Pass. This Mm. game has had some history around it. Oh, yeah. That is insane to think about. But it's finally happening and we're getting it early. And I've been watching videos of it. And this shit is my shit. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm so excited for this game. Just, uh, you know, seeing the previews that came out of it last week when, Mm -hmm. like, there was, like, a few people got access to it and there was no embargo. So they were allowed to say, like, here's what I think of this game. And everyone has been pretty excited by it. Mm You know, it's uh, it, it's not you know if you're going in expecting like a shooter or to, to run and gun, that's not really what you're gonna get. This is a game about the art and about the vibes of Geiger yeah. art. Geiger yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, it, it is a game in which, like, I looked at this and said, one of the things I've always wanted to do is go to Germany and go to the Geiger Museum mm-hmm. because you just get to be surrounded by his art. And I've been, I am one of those people. I am a weird dude. We all know this. Um, the thing, the macabre. The really kind of slightly fucked up, the morbid. It fascinates me. I find it romantic and comfortable, and mm-hmm. it's, it's a safe space for me. And the idea of going to a Giger Museum is just like, oh god, it's be like coming home for me. Yeah, you know, I grew up watching the Aliens movies and just loving that art style. Um, and when something is Giger esque, I never think to myself, oh, it's a ripoff. I always think you appreciated his work. Well, yeah, I mean, that no one's ripping it off because it's not easy to do. Right. Like, like anyone modeling anything after that art really has to love it because it's just so complex to work mm. on to try and create your own version of his thing and like put it up somewhere yeah. even just as a reference is I mean that that's it, it's difficult to do right I'll tell mm. you that absolutely so yeah Scorn it's coming out next week yeah glad it's I have a Game new, Pass glad I have a, glad I have a new computer yeah Hell yeah. Super excited. If they ever put out a, a, I swear to God, if they ever put out like a VR version of this, I'm fucking in. It's time. Yeah. It's it's time to drop for a VR headset. There Mm. you go. We're almost done with the news this week. We got a few more items to discuss. Uh, first up, Crystal Dynamics released a survey this week asking about fans' interest in a new Legacy of Kane game mm. or a remake of the old ones. Uh, the, surv- the survey, which is still out and I believe you can fill out, is extremely detailed. Um, it asks which games you've played. It asks you what you like about the series. It asks you the type of games that you would like to see as a baseline for the next Legacy of Kane game. So if you think a more <sighs> Uncharted-style game would be good, you can pick that. It asks you these questions. It wasn't as simple as, do you like Legacy of Kane? Yes or no? Draw a heart around it. It's like, we want to know every single detail. They give you a long list of genres to say, like, pick five of these genres that that Legacy of Kane can exist in. You do not have to pick five. It could be two. It could be, like, horror, action, RPG, and then call it a day. Yeah. Um, I did this full survey. Good. It took me, like, a good ten minutes because I really wanted to think about my answers. And, yeah, man, I, for a brief moment, had a little bit of hope. 
I was just like, oh, man, I hope they listen to the people on this one. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've all seen enough surveys to, you know, know that most of them don't amount to much, especially in the game space. Because most of the time when developers ask you your opinion, they're, they're, they they don't actually want it. Right. You know, they're just trying to avoid some kind of catastrophe. But with this preemptively and the way they're asking the questions, it makes me think more like they're trying to plan something good and trying to put something good together rather than... You know, we're going to make something and then, like, throw out a feeler to see if anyone hates this. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the answers should have just been, yes, put it in my veins. And <laughs> right. it's like, well, we have questions about what you think. Make the game. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. I, I mean, come on. Like, but I understand that the the nuance behind their questions because, like, they're gauging what kind of games people would like right now. Like, it literally did have sure. an option for, like, Battle Royale as a checkable option. <laughs> and I swear to God, if you picked Legacy of Kane Battle Royale, yep. I will find you. We're not friends Yeah, we are anymore. not friends anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's yeah, not even funny. Yeah, it's not even a joke. Um, but, yeah, like, they, they really – I think they were more trying to gauge what the temperature of everything is. Would people still want an action RPG for Legacy of Kane? Do we want to do just a straight action game like Uncharted? Do we want more of, like, a Last of Us for a vampire game? What, what do we do? next right I, yeah i mean i want personally i would want a konami style remake of one and two mm. then make more yeah like like we're, we're remaking all the wrong games everyone mm. like straight up but like remake the games that people really want that weren't made in the last five years yeah and and do do what konami's doing because konami's doing excellent remakes so like I will say like with the Konami, whole, I'm sorry, Capcom. Yeah, Capcom. Konami. Yeah, Capcom's doing it excellent. Uh, but what I will say is the the detail of the questions. Kind of go back to that for a second. Is that um, when it one of the questions was like, what is the what are the thematic elements that you like about Legacy of Kane games? Mm. And it was just like story or vampires or I just like good action. And then there was they got into even more detail like morality and fate versus free will mm-hmm. and i'm like these are the answers that i'm looking for yeah. like this is what legacy of kane's about so i'm glad they took the time to really dive deep into those check boxes because i'm like yes like i want morality i want to be able to question fate versus free will like my thing about legacy of kane is is the gameplay has always been eh. yeah but the narration and the storytelling has always been so top-notch that you just walk away from it going like what the fuck did I just play? Yeah, absolutely wonderful stories. And that's what I really want. Like, I'm yeah. interested in the lore, and I'm interested in the whole, like, Kane Raziel, like, eons-long, like, legacy fight. Yeah. And, like, 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 like slight bromance, and, and, like, all of that. Like, like I, I, I want it all. They even asked you of Kane and Raziel, who was your favorite of the two. Oh, man. And I was just like, that's an easy answer for me. But... Yeah, me too. So, yeah, Legacy of Kane... Knock on wood. Here's hoping. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Please, please, please do the needful. Please do it. Make, make the game. Last week, it was announced that Google Stadia is being retired and that refunds for many of their products will be given back to consumers. <gasps> In the wake of those announcements, several companies like Bungie, Ubisoft, and IO Interactive are working on a way to bring those purchased games and user data from the Stadia platform over to their live services. Mm-hmm. Note, there's no formal plan of action for how they're going to do it. This was more of a promise by the developers to the players that they would find a way to continue helping them play those games they had been playing previously on Stadia. Right. Yeah, I, I think this. Uh, some of this came up because there was a, a guy who took to Twitter to reveal his time played, and I, in, I believe it was Red Dead Redemption 2, um, uh, a game that he purchased and played on Stadia, mm. the 
for some reason. Yeah. He had over a thousand hours in that game. That's not a thousand hour game. Yeah. I mean, it's just not. I mean, it, it, it's a huge game, but I mean, he may not have had a computer that could run it. That's no, no, and, and that's great. But but like he spent all of that time in that save file, so you know he loved that game. Yeah, and he loved you know the multiplayer, and he loved the main game, and you know he just it, it, it drank that game. It takes like a thousand. It takes like a year for me to put a thousand hours into a game, and mm. that's when I'm trying. Yeah, I very rarely put a thousand hours into a game. Ever. Yeah, so um, uh, yeah, he was basically you know showing up to say well. Unless someone finds a way for me to port this save, lol, Rockstar, that'll never happen. They're yeah. not. They're not working on that. Um, he just. He's just going to lose that save file. Yeah. And I think uh, uh, whoever the Stadia users are, we know you're out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably have a lot of the same sentiment. I know that for stuff like Destiny, like if you put a couple hundred hours into Destiny and got a bunch of stuff and played it on Stadia, it, you, you wouldn't want to reset. Yeah, you don't want to start over. Fuck yeah. that. You, you, you want to take your character and all of your stuff and move it onto another platform, whatever you can get. Yeah. Uh, we'll know more about it once they figure out the plan of action, but it was nice to see the developers be very preemptive about it. Like the news hit and they went, guys, we're going to try and figure this out for y'all. Yeah. So good on that. CD Projekt Red made a ton of announcements this week, outlining which projects are upcoming for them. Uh, There were things that we knew, like the Phantom Liberty expansion for Cyberpunk, Mm -hmm. uh, but also a lot that were unexpected. Uh, There were multiple Witcher projects in the works, both by CD Projekt Red and also by other studios like the Molasses Flood. On top of this, there is a new IP in the works, excuse me, a new IP in the works, codenamed Hater, but CDPR has said that it's only in its conceptual phase. Okay. Yeah. Um, I really wish they would just never again talk about a game in its conceptual phase. That's how we ended up waiting seven years for Cyberpunk. Yeah. But um, other than that, I mean, yeah, they're they're trying really hard. Yeah. They're trying really hard. The public seems to be, you know, forgiving them in, uh, you know, in in their forgiving ways, which is nice. I Mm -hmm. mean, I guess it's it's fine. Like, you know, it's been a, a while. Lot of, a lot of people are coming around to the fact that it wasn't CDPR's fault that, that Cyberpunk shipped in a broke state. Right. Yeah, they it were, certainly they were, wasn't any of the people yeah. who made the game's fault. Yeah. And hopefully they've done something to get rid of the people who didn't make those yeah. decisions. It's a more of a publisher thing, and they were just kind of contractually obligated to release when they released. Um, but yeah, it is what it is. And uh, obviously sentiment for Cyberpunk's been turning around since Edge Runners yeah, came since out. Yeah, since Edge Runners. I mean, I know I just can't wait to for the expansion to come out so I can just load that game up and yeah. just like sail across, you know, Night City. It sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Probably watch Edge Runners again right before that happens. Yeah, I'm too. happy for all of y'all who have been enjoying Cyberpunk. I just have to wait a little bit longer before I play it myself. Like yeah. I just want to have it all the jank out and then I'll be happy to sit down and enjoy it. But if you're enjoying it right now or enjoyed it when it first came out, man, mm-hmm. good for you because that's, yeah. that's a commitment. This week's edition of Blizzard Are You Okay has a unique twist. This week, we are going to talk a little bit about the launch of Overwatch 2, which has been messy at best, Mm -hmm. but not in the ways that you think. Uh, Day one of the Overwatch 2 experience found the servers being overloaded the moment the game went live. On top of that, there were multiple DDoS attacks or denial of service attacks in attempts to crash the game for anybody trying to get in. We did briefly touch on the controversy of having to have a connected phone to your Battle.net account, which some uh, members of the community have spoken out against, saying that you you basically can't play Overwatch 2 if you're poor, right. which is definitely a real concern. Uh, Blizzard announced one day after the launch that any Overwatch player that had a connected Battle.net account, including all players who have played since July 9th, 2021, will not have to provide a phone number to play. This does not count for new and upcoming accounts. Correct. Just everything before this. You were grandfathered in and do not have to provide a phone number for us. If you owned Overwatch 1, 
Overwatch 2 is fine. We, yeah. we trust you and we believe you. Here you go. Yeah. And, you know, I really, I, I can appreciate this decision because they they implemented this to try and keep us safe from people just, you know, bot spamming accounts when they get caught over and over for cheating or, racism. you know, racism or whatever else they're going to get spammed for. Right. Um, you know, they made you tie your character, they made you tie your account to a phone number. And, that, that you know, that they realized, and rightfully so, that... Anything from before Overwatch 2 launched shouldn't really matter that much. These right. people have all been playing. Yeah. It is. And there may come a time where they actually just back up on the whole SMS thing. I was thinking a lot about it this could. since our last conversation. There's already a lot of measures in place that kind of prevent people from from making multiple accounts. I mean, like you could make multiple accounts. Oh, yeah. But you would have to go through the new user experience, mm-hmm. which is hundreds of games you would have to play just to get to a point where you would then... Go in and be a horrible person, right? Like, and let's not forget you you would you would want to do this entirely based on increasing comp rank because now there's no there's no like user like template anymore. No, no, no yeah. one's going to be boosting their portrait anymore. Right. You know, from you know bronze to gold to silver or from silver to gold. Instead, it's just going to be about you know racking up that competitive game. And, and, and do you really want to pay someone or be the person starting an account from zero? Because you know it's Probably about a hundred games before you're even playing competitive. Yep, you have to unlock all the characters yep. at that point. So. Got to unlock all the characters. Got to make sure you got yeah. So Hector, that. what was your day when Overwatch Two experience like? Let's talk about it. Well, all right. So yeah, I uh, you know got in, signed in, realized that the queue wasn't moving forward despite having zero people in front of me. Logged out. We had a small discussion. Changed my reason to a my region to Asia. Mm-hmm. Logged in, and I'm in. Yep. Yep. Uh, I had a, had a little issue with some updates, but uh, we were able to uh, grab you and me and another friend of ours and just play day one. Yep. Yeah, we had a pretty good time. There were people around. It took no time at all to get a game. Mm-hmm. And overall, the people we played with behaved themselves. Yep. No one called me a slur. Yep. No one screamed at me in voice chat. Mm-hmm. Um we all just kind of played. There, there was there was not really any toxicity, and it really felt like, <clears throat> excuse me, like the people playing knew what they were doing. Yeah, like in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that means there weren't like a whole bunch of new people day one, or there were, or we were just weren't getting grouped with a whole bunch of new people just because of our like past, yeah, you know, lives. Mm-hmm. But overall, I had a very pleasant experience day one. There were hiccups, but nothing insurmountable. I've played through far, far worse day one things mm-hmm. in Blizzard games. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, not to mention any of the other launches in the past. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was um, it was good day one. One of the greatest, greatest sentiments that I find I take from our good friend Nubatron, who does the Outlaws podcast with me. Um, he said in Discord, this was the first day in a long time where I've been, where I've woken up and been really excited to go play Overwatch. Yeah, and I was like, I feel That's that. Very man. true. I feel that way too. I was like, man, we have to do like two shows today because I want to play some fucking Overwatch. Yeah. But that's a tomorrow thing. That's not a today thing. Yep. Tomorrow's going to be definitely going to be an Overwatch day. Yeah. But like that's been so exciting and seeing the community so revitalized around it. And we can talk about the DDoS attacks. Obviously, those are bad. You people are horrible for doing that, by the way. Yeah. What the fuck? Um, Yeah. Just you're just trying to ruin people's fun. Great. Um, But let's specifically talk about the cues like the fact that there were that 
many people for days oh, yeah. trying to get into Overwatch 2 that was so heavy that like the servers got overloaded multiple times. Oh yeah, and you did you know people whole matches just would start going down, yeah. you know. It was absolutely crazy. And uh, as of just a couple hours ago, Blizzard actually said, like, hey, we're going to take the servers offline for a couple hours. Actually, right about the time we're doing the show. Yeah, yeah, just about now. So, you know, it's good timing for us. Yeah. And so, like, we're just going to take them down for a few hours. We know what we need to fix. We need to just go in there and get it fixed. We're working on it right now. Just, like, please hold. And, yeah, it's great. Like, I am excited for the future of Overwatch. I will say that it is a weird experience to be around a battle pass because I'm just – I haven't played a lot of games with them. Other yeah. than like mobile games, mm-hmm. that, that, that so, slow, that slow earn. You know, yeah, it's a slow earn. But a lot of the people that I've been fo- that I do follow have been like, you know, my battle pass is actually going pretty fast. Like, you know, only playing a few games a night. Oh yeah, yeah, so. yeah. No, no, I, I've been getting you know, especially you know, with a couple of wins here and there, especially at the beginning, you start to earn stuff pretty quick. I think I'm all um. I think I'm almost level 20. Yeah, I'm like, at like 10. Yeah. And I haven't played that many games. But basically the core of it is just follow your, your bonuses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just follow your bonuses. You, so you, you see challenges right there at the bottom in yep. the opening screen. You can see what your daily, weekly, seasonal challenges are. Yep. And there's go for it. You know, yep. we, we still have to play some arcade games. Yeah, we got to definitely play some arcade games. Yeah. My day one Overwatch 2 experience was, again, a little rough because it took us a little bit to get in. Also, I have a new computer and I have not adjusted my graphical settings for it. So it was a lot of tweaking all of that stuff. But other than that, I mean, these are mundane things. Like, I nobody, I, I don't think anybody expected the launch to go perfectly because no game that is a free to play game just launches perfectly. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like every there will always be server issues. There will be congestion if your game's popular enough. There'll yeah. be congestion. There will be issues, um, and it's just your job to respond. The fact that it's taken Blizzard. Uh, let me rephrase that. The fact that it, Blizzard has done this much tech work on the back end with the game still being live and are only now tonight taking it down for a few hours to yeah. fix it, when they had made it into a pretty functional state. Yeah, that's true. If you've never worked on a live service before, I don't even just mean a game. Just a product in general. Well, yeah, just like a, like a web just, app. Like or, 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 no, it is phone app. an impressive feat of magic that they have gotten it to the state that they did in God, I hope the Blizzard's taking care of their IT team. Oh, I know. And I'm not just talking pizza, y'all. I mean, like, you need to take care of these people. They need bonuses. They need, you know, big vacation time Mm -hmm. once the game's stable. You know, maybe maybe some fucking shit on the back end. Let's get some game publisher. Let's get some game creators to unionize so they start getting some of that back end money. Right. We're going to talk more about that later. Yeah, we're definitely going to get into that. Uh, We need to go ahead and wrap up our news section. Final thoughts about Overwatch 2 before we uh, go? Uh, Going to go home and play it more. Yep. Yeah, that's my thoughts on Overwatch 2. Exactly. Play more. Feel the same way. All right. This is everything we have for the news portion of our show, but stick with us. When we come in on the other side, we'll be going on to our main topic in the boss room. Boss room. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is the boss room, our main talking point for the show. Sometimes related to the news, sometimes not. This boss room has sadly been in the works for some time. It's something that's been on my mind a lot, and I wanted to make sure that I did my due diligence before we actually had this conversation. Um, I want to point out here, neither of us work in the film industry, Mm -hmm. and I want to give a big shout-out to the Royal Ocean Film Society. Uh, It's a YouTube channel. They actually did a really great YouTube video on this subject. It's something that I was doing a bunch of research on this and happened to come across it and went, holy crap, this is exactly what I need. Um, So... Again, just putting out there, we are just fans Mm -hmm. uh, talking about an industry that we love. And if you hear this and work in the industry, please reach out to us because we'd love to hear uh, from you about this. With that in mind, 
let's get on with the show. It's finally time to talk about the real problem that's going on with Marvel and more specifically with Hollywood. We are going to talk about the drop in quality of the VFX or visual effects in film and shows that we love. Um, but there is a huge but here. We are not going to be sitting here and going, oh, my God, the VFX are bad. We are not and will never be that show. No. Today, we are going to talk about the real issue and why we are seeing these problems. And it is not pretty. Today, we are going to talk about how VFX artists are treated in Hollywood right now. Yeah. So, a lot to go into here. I'm going to bust out some quotes to start with. Why don't we okay. start there, right? Out of more than 20, 27, uh, sorry, 2,700 shots in Infinity War, only 80 didn't include any visual effects, according to uh, VFX company Light & Magic. Mm -hmm. That means that less than 3% of the 2.5-hour movie was created without the aid uh, of visual effects. Okay? A quote from Reddit. The artists working on Marvel shows are definitely not paid equivalent to the amount of work that they put in. Durev uh, Govel, who worked on the Guardians of the Galaxy and Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, wrote on Twitter, Working on Marvel shows is what pushed me to leave the VFX industry. They are a horrible client, and I've seen way too many colleagues break down after being overworked while Marvel tightens the purse, springs, uh, purse strings. So this is just some of the stuff that's going around. We are saying Marvel here, mm -hmm. but... Um, the big, it, it's all around Hollywood. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is, it is all around Hollywood. Um, another big name that has been coming up recently in discussions has been Netflix. Oh yeah. Netflix yeah. has been, uh, overworking and underpaying their people. And at this point we're talking about two of the biggest content creators, like in, in the industry, right? So you have right. to assume it's very widespread and the biggest offenders are the people with the, the biggest and probably the most VFX heavy projects to work on. I mean, name me. I mean, it, it, you probably couldn't name a movie without a VFX shot in it that's come out in the last 20 years. Right. Um, but that being said, when you look at something like an Infinity War, um, you you know that this movie is almost entirely filmed, you know, on sets and either in front of green screens or now with Disney, they have the volume mm -hmm. and, you know. But actors with, you know, that, that, that checkered, you know, jump like tight suit on mm. maybe a tennis ball floating above their head where they're, you're supposed to make eye contact with. Yep. This is how we make movies now. And for it not to look like that, for it to look like Infinity War or Endgame, it takes the work of thousands and thousands of incredibly talented artists doing passes and passes and passes. And... As far as I can tell, the only studios that seems to treat these people well are the, the ones who work on, like, CG-only Disney animated movies. And by well, I'm saying for, by American standards, not like an actual well-treated worker. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't live in Europe. So have you ever heard the—a lot of people have said this, both IRL and on the internet. Have you ever heard somebody go, I don't understand how Jurassic Park looks as good as it does, mm. given how old it is? Yeah. I have the answer for you. Would you like to know it? Yes. All right. Here's the answer to that question. According to Inverse.com, 1993's Jurassic Park had 63 VFX shots. In 1997, Starship Troopers made he headlines for having almost 500. Today's blockbusters routinely have over 2,000 VFX shots and far less time to complete them. 
Jurassic Park was in post-production for three years with seven months for principal photography. Now we have shows with thousands of VFX shots, and it needs to be done in six months. Yeah. So that's the answer to your Jurassic Park question. Yeah, they're, they're getting cyberpunked. Yeah. Yeah, that's straight up, like, they are, yeah, they're, they're like, hey, you, we need you to make this thing that's bigger and better than anything anyone else has ever made. And you have three months. Yeah. It's, it's just... The, the, the amount of talent it would take to coordinate that push along with the amount of money it would take to hire, train, and implement the amount of artists you would need to do that much work in that amount of time and be at all humane to your employees, they're just not willing to put in. Mm-hmm. Oh, because, yeah. We, we routinely hear 60-plus hour work weeks is a thing for VFX. Oh, yeah. That's a light work week from what we understand in VFX. I mean, they're practically mangakas at this point. A mangaka is someone who basically single-handedly uh, uh, writes a manga for Shonen Jump. Yeah. And there is expected to turn out a, a volume like pretty much weekly. Mm-hmm. And this is storyboarding, writing, penning, you know, inking and, 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 and publishing, but you know, on date, it's an incredibly hard job. It results in, in, in a ton of burnout. And this seems like the same shit mm-hmm. only it's a part of the things that we're all, you know, spending billions of dollars on to go see in theaters. I feel like these people who do so much of what we love, not to diminish anybody else, anybody who works on sets, anyone directing, anyone doing sound, anyone doing editing, anyone doing acting, we all know that these people do good jobs, but why are the VFX people being shit on like this? It's true. When we talk about things that happen in movies, um, you talk about how an actor can take a part for a couple million dollars and then live off the residuals of that film being shown for ages to come. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A VFX person gets none of that. They get no residuals. Mm-hmm. Think about the way that Tony Stark looked in Endgame where he was basically a head on top of CGI armor. Mm-hmm. That was 10% of Robert Downey Jr. that made all the residuals from that movie. Yep. The people who made the rest of Robert Downey Jr. did not see that money. Yeah, and the people who made the backgrounds, the people who made the sets, you yep. know, everything around him. Very little in that shot was real. Yep. And... There's only one person, you know, who's responsible for that shot and making any money off of it after the fact. Mm-hmm. There was a, a something that was probably came up with the Royal Ocean video that I watched where they said, it's a pretty well-known fact that when The Matrix was being made, Keanu Reeves gave a bunch of his money to the VX, VFX team. Yeah. Yeah, he just gave he them just a gave huge bonus because he thought it was only correct to do so because yep. Keanu's a wonderful person and we love him. Yeah. But they should be getting some kind of residuals. It's just, it's well, the they way absolutely the world. should. The people who make the only people who have managed to, to do this in the past are when they snuck it in under the radar when VFX looked like they did in the late 70s and early 80s mm-hmm. or late 60s and early 70s. You know, when you go from Flash Gordon to A New Hope right. to. You know, did you, you know anything that happened in the early '80s? And I mean, we just got done watching uh, uh, Ghostbusters, and I mean, God, I love that movie. But those visual effects—I mean, the, the the ones that are not done in camera with practical effects—they mm-hmm. look dumb. Like they just but they're do, old school. but they're old school. You know, they were done by exposing film to weird streaks. They weren't done mm. by you know someone meticulously drawing digitally on on digital frames. Yep. So, the, the, I mean, the standards have gone up so high that now these shots basically create the film rather than adding flavor to them for one or two scenes, mm. and. 
the people aren't being any better compensated. In fact, they're being compensated much worse. Well, there also is a problem called fixed bidding, which the quote that I have says mm-hmm. it's a system in which studios accept bids for competing visual effects companies to work for major films. There's a lot of problems with this. Basically, in L.A., companies have to vastly underbid so that they can compete with other groups in the area. So yes. like if you're a VFX team, you're bidding against other VFX team to take the next Marvel movie and you say, "Oh, I can do it for $20,000." And they go, "Well, I'll, I can do it for 10." Right. Well, we can't pay our employees at that point, right? Like yes. Yeah. No, and this th- this shouldn't be a practice that anyone allows their company to do on top of them. Yep. Again, this is why we should all be unionizing. Stuff like this is, you know, if, if your boss says, yeah, my team of 30 people can absolutely crank out 10,000 hours of work in a month. It's like, no, mm-hmm. no, the, there, there's no math there. And you're a monster. And if you try and accept a contract for that low, for that much work, we mm-hmm. will all quit. Or better yet, you'll be fired. Yeah, there's a very famous story where um, the uh, the movie Life uh, Life of Pi was being made. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, I, uh, I remember this. I was watching those Oscars live. Yeah, and that Oscars, uh, they went in there and they actually, when they won the award for mm-hmm. Best VFX, they were, they were giving the speech about how the company that had created the VFX was in the middle of being shut down as they gave the speech. Yep. And then the speech got cut off. Halfway through the speech. Yep. And, and it wasn't because it wasn't for time. They cut him off early. Yeah. And while this was happening, though, that VFX team was outside of the Oscars holding up signs in protest mm-hmm. because their company was being shut down. Yep. One of the first things he said when he got on stage was, just so you all know, our company uh, no longer exists and we're all out of a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we need to talk about how we do VFX in the industry. And then they started playing him off. And all you got was a reaction shot from Nicole Kidman saying, oh, poor thing. Mm-hmm. Poor Poor little inconsequential man. Mm. Uh, I wish there was something we could do to help. <laughs> right. Yeah, but but there is. There, there's absolutely no excuse for this. If a studio does a movie like Endgame that makes a billion dollars or like Infinity yeah. War that makes a billion dollars or three billion dollars or whatever it makes, those people should still be getting paid. Mm-hmm. Just like everyone else, just like the writers, just like the directors, just like the actors. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're licensing their artwork when you sell this movie, they need kickbacks. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that shouldn't even be controversial. But there was a lot of this going on in other work, in in other work before they unionized in the Screen Actors Guild, in the Stuntmen's Guild, you know, for for all of this, it, it, this has all been the type of work that ha- that has caused these people to unionize in the past, these groups to unionize in the past, mm-hmm. and it's about damn time VSFX artists did the same mm-hmm. because let's make it a industry that people want to go into. Right. That young aspiring artists say, "Yeah, I want to draw the suit on the next Superman mm-hmm. or the next Spider Man," you know, and I want to animate it so that when he's swinging through the sky, that that's me and I can think about it, but I don't want to do it. If I'm going to have to work a thousand hours in a month and, you know, to have PTSD and sleep under my desk and then barely get paid enough to afford my apartment outside of L.A. No, mm. man, that's that, that's not OK. I'll give None you of a, that is OK. I got another 
good uh, quote here for you. This one comes from Defector.com. Mm. There was an interview uh, with a show coordinator uh, that said that they believed that Netflix was the by far the worst company any effects person could work for. Mm. There was a Christmas movie called The Night Before Christmas, K-N-I-G-H-T. Mm. Um, and the director, uh, Monica Mitchell, was, quote, irrationally hell-bent on perfecting it. So the coordinator's effects team had to redo a single shot of a castle dozens of times after they had already completed 90% of the film. Yeah. 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 This is something I know directors can be exacting and that it's supposed to be their vision, but they need to understand the actual process of how of the things that are getting created and how they create them. Right. If a director walked into a practical effects shop. Mm hmm looked at the face of the creature from the Black Lagoon or say the, you know, the creature from, um, uh, what's the movie I'm thinking of? The Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. You know, just some amazing, you know, beautiful suit, you know, that articulates and emotes. And they just looked at it and they said, mm, not quite what I had in mind. I'll come back tomorrow when you can show me the new one. Yeah. That everyone would think that person was fucking crazy or didn't know what they were doing or was just ignorant about their entire job and had no business directing a film. Mm-hmm. Because they they, they, they they didn't know what the work that went into this aspect of it. But this stuff happens all the time with VFX artists. Mm-hmm. So much so to the point where Marvel famously began doing previs on fight scenes before they found their directors. Mm-hmm. So that directors could see these scenes, change small things about the art direction of it, but then was told you can't, you can't fuck with the choreography mm-hmm. because it, this will take further several months that we don't have to complete, which is why a lot of directors don't take Marvel movies, depending on what, you know, what they're known for, right up until someone drives a dump truck of money to their house. Right. But this is how, this is how much VFX can affect a movie. I mean, one of the great examples from that video you've been talking about is the movie Cats. Mm-hmm. Now, I did see Cats in theater at the Alamo Draft House. I have a pin that proves it because they gave me a pin as I walked out because that movie... Literally did. Release unfinished. There were shots of, of, of cats with just tap dancing shoes on. Mm-hmm. There were, um, you know, just that feet just popping wildly out of costumes. Mm-hmm. That There were no costumes. It was all CG and CG fur. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, the movie looked like a, like a horror show, like a nightmare. It made mm-hmm. very little sense when you looked at it. And this is because the director, who had done several other musicals and biopics, just didn't work with VFX. Not like this. Mm-hmm. Not like this at all. Not where you have to make an entire movie out of it. And he had no idea what to expect. And he expected to be able to view finished product while, you know, tweaking the movie. And mm-hmm. which, you know, any VFX artist can tell you that's not how any of this shit works. Yeah. I can't draw while you're filming. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not how the technology works. Yeah. So why did I want to have this conversation? Well, one, because... It's a worthy conversation of having. It's something that's been on my mind for a while. Mm-hmm. It's something that we've talked about outside of the show. Um, the VFX industry does not get enough love. But second yeah. is a little bit more personal. And I'm going to be a little bit honest here. Really getting tired when a trailer for something comes out and somebody immediately goes to Twitter to talk about how bad the CG is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, fuck those people. Because, like, I get it. You may not like the quality of the product that you're seeing, but the the product is not the problem of the artists. Mm-hmm. I promise you. 
the problem that you are seeing is the corporations, the people that own those things, putting too much time and not enough money into the most important resource, which is people to make these things. Yeah. This is the same. This is the, the movie industry's version of lazy devs. Right in the game industry, when someone doesn't like something in a game, or finds it unfinished, or finds a mechanic lacking, they say, "Man, these devs were just lazy. Yeah. They just didn't program it right. Why didn't they just program it right?" And mm -hmm. Instead of saying, "Wow, I wonder what kind of deadline they were under. I wonder how much debugging they had to do on top of their programming jobs. Mm -hmm. I wonder how much slack they had to pick up from the completely understaffed and underfunded, um, you know, a quality control department. I wonder how much time they had to take away from their families. Yeah. to do this. Yeah." And, and, and it's become passe to the point of nincompoopery when anyone anywhere near the game industry says lazy devs. You, you can just tell they don't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. But you still have these idiots on Twitter, you know, watching the She-Hulk trailer two months before it comes out and saying, oh, the CG looks bad. They just must have hired shit artists or, you know, mm -hmm. just laughably like, like that doesn't look real. It's not finished. The show's literally not finished, mm -hmm. and they didn't have a finished product to put in the trailer because they will be finishing that artwork up until the moment it's released because that's how they fucking work with this shit now. Mm -hmm. And it's horrible, and the deadlines are terrible, and they still put it, do a really good job. I have yet to see a finished Marvel show with bad-looking special effects, mm -hmm. so somehow they're still getting it done. That doesn't make it okay. Yeah. It'll be okay when they're fairly compensated. There is a human cost to every piece of media that we consume. And if we don't take a moment to reflect on that and all the time in the world to criticize on it, we are horrible people. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to talk about the VFX stuff today because it was so vitally important that if you've never even considered this aspect of the industry, I'm hoping that you'll consider it going forward you know, to think about the people who make this stuff because they do love what they do. And it's sad to hear that so many of them burn out the way that they do because of this, the pressure that they're under by studios. The human cost of making your favorite things is high and they deserve better. Yeah. And, and sometimes it gets really hard. And please don't take this at any kind of purity test. No one's saying, you know, you're bad or you have bad opinions or you're immoral. If you like these movies, we love these movies. And some of them genuinely do have some some really rough effects at times. Mm. I was particularly thinking of the Black Panther right now. Mm. And they, notoriously, they did not have the time that they needed they to make not, that no, look they, better. They said that. And I, th that movie is not diminished in any way for that reason. It just makes me feel for the effects artists. And later, you know, in less than 30 days, uh, maybe a little bit more than 30 days at this point, we're going to go see Wakanda Forever. Mm -hmm. And I'm really, I cannot wait to see that movie. And I'm sure it's going to look spectacular and be spectacular. But always in the back of my head, I know I'm going to think, man, we should fucking unionize these VFX artists. And that's yeah. a good thought to keep in your head while you enjoy the media you love. Yeah. Because if you like consuming it, you should also want the people who make it to, you know, live a good life. And not just a life with money, a good life. A life with work-life balance so that they can recharge their art batteries and come back and make even cooler shit. Yep. I couldn't have said it better myself. Hmm. And that is everything that we have time for this week on the show. Thank you for sticking with us. I hope that you found our, our talk enjoyable. It's something that has been very near to, dear to my heart that I've been wanting to get out into the radio waves for a while, and I'm glad that we got to have this conversation. Um, don't forget that you can head over to 
to goodnight.gg and become a patron of our show. You can head over to facebook.com slash gnggcast where you can chat with us as well as chat with me directly at gnggcast on Twitter. Until next time, for Hector, this is James. And for James, this is Hector. Everyone, good night. And good game.